So you should be in Mark chapter 4. Right now we are starting in verse 26 this week. Mark chapter 4, verse 26, and this is what the Bible says. And he, that is Jesus, and Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs, and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Title of my message this morning is Parables, Agriculture, and the kingdom of God. Parables, agriculture, and the kingdom of God. And if you'd like to track along with the message this morning, you can listen for these things. Pardon the interruption. Five good minutes. A science lesson. That stunk. Show and tell. And a gift for you. Pardon the interruption. Five good minutes. A science lesson. That stunk. Show and tell. And a gift for you. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, I am so thankful for uh, now. I'm so thankful for uh, the morning. I'm thankful for this day when we can gather as a body of believers and encourage one another in faith, lift our voices in song, and hear from you a word. And I pray your blessing upon us now. Please, God, prepare our hearts even now. Speak, please. Thank you. For being here in our midst, we welcome you, and we ask that you do a work this morning in us, God. Do your work. I pray for uh, everything that's happening in the building. I pray for our children's ministry, uh, children's church, toddlers, uh, the nursery. Thank you so much for those who are serving uh, there. Uh, bless them. Bless those little ones. Speak to them as they hear a lesson. Uh, thank you for uh, Stacy and Shelly uh, in the sound room. Bless them, please. God, we desire things to go smoothly, but if not, that's okay. 
You are in control. And we simply want to proclaim the name of Jesus. And then allow you to do the work. I do pray for Matthew and Penny and everyone who's going to Israel. Give them a great trip, God. Give them a safe trip. May connecting flights uh, not be uh, problematic. May everybody arrive uh, to Boston in a timely manner so that they can leave uh, tonight. Keep them safe as they go. Give them an incredible, an incredible time away. We look forward to welcoming them uh, and hearing all about their trip when they return. Now again, bless us now. Please, dear God, bless. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are a little more than halfway through chapter uh, 4 in our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. And if you've been here even for a few Sundays since the start of the series, uh, then you can see that Mark keeps the action moving. It reminds me of the best sports show on television. One that I try not to miss, it's called Pardon the Interruption, or PTI for short. Now, I enjoy Pardon the Interruption for a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, Number one, Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon were uh, columnists, sports columnists for the Washington Post. When I lived in Maryland for 56 years of my life, was in Maryland, my dad got the Post when I was young. Uh, We got the Post when I became an adult. Uh, I read Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon daily. Uh, They were terrific. And while I don't know these men personally, um, and they've surely never heard of me, uh, I feel like there is a connection for me there with them because of their writing for the Post and the years that I spent uh, reading them. The biggest reason I love the show is uh, it's the most intelligent sports show out there, in my opinion. It is the most intelligent sports show out there, and it moves. It's a 30-minute show, and they move from one topic to another very quickly. They discuss the biggest topic in sports for two to three minutes. A bell rings. And then they move on to the next biggest topic. Could be the NBA Finals, the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, could be golf news, baseball, whatever the biggest news, they cover it. They cover it quickly, and then they move on. That's what Mark does in his gospel. Mark covers an event in Jesus' life quickly, and then he moves on to another event. After opening with the ministry of John the Baptist, Mark moves his attention to Jesus. There's Jesus being baptized. Jesus being tempted by Satan. Jesus beginning his preaching ministry. Jesus calling his disciples. Jesus casting out demons. Jesus healing the sick. Jesus cleansing the leper, and all of that happens just in chapter 1. That's all in chapter 1. But it moves quickly. 
Chapter 2 begins the same way. Jesus forgives and heals the paralytic who was lowered down through a roof to him. Jesus calls Levi, the tax collector, to follow him. And then Jesus answers questions about fasting and about the Sabbath. In chapter 3, we find Jesus healing on the Sabbath day. Then there's more healing happening. Then there's the identification of Jesus' inner circle, the 12 disciples. And then we get to the opposition against Jesus, starting within that inner circle, Judas Iscariot, moving to uh, what Mark writes as his own people. And we discussed several weeks ago that that is referring to his own family. And then opposition as well from the religious leaders of the day. And it's not until we get to chapter 4 in the Gospel of Mark that there is a pause. Now there's a segment on, uh, pardon the interruption, called Five Good Minutes. Doesn't happen on every episode, but occasionally the frenetic back and forth pace of the show slows down so that Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon can talk to one person, one sports figure, it could be a coach, it could be a player, it could be an analyst, and talk about one specific topic for five minutes. And it allows them to go a little deeper into a particular area of sports. Consider chapter four of the Gospel of Mark, that five good minutes segment, where Mark goes deeper by documenting the first, uh, to- the first of Jesus' teaching. Verse one, chapter four, and again he began to teach by the sea. Mark has mentioned Jesus' teaching and preaching ministry before. That word again in verse one of chapter four says so. It proves that. In chapter 1, verse 14, we find Jesus preaching in Galilee. His message is found in verse 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. Chapter 1, verse 21, we find Jesus teaching in the synagogue, but Mark says nothing about what he's teaching there, only that he's teaching. Verse 39, chapter 1, we find Jesus preaching in the synagogues throughout Galilee. But again, there's no information about what Jesus is preaching here. Chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus is preaching the word in a house in Capernaum. Chapter 2, verse 13, Jesus is teaching while walking by the sea. Mark acknowledges Jesus' teaching and preaching ministry. But except for very briefly in verse 15 of chapter 1, he spends no time telling us what Jesus teaches or preaches in those passages but that changes in chapter 4 verse 2 says this then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching Jesus said to them in his teaching and if you have a red letter edition of the Bible you will find from verses 3 to 32 
all of it in red letters except for verse 10 and for a couple of phrases here and there. That's 29 out of 30 verses where Mark covers the teaching of Jesus. That doesn't happen again until chapter 13, where there are 33 verses covering the teaching of Jesus about the end times in Mark. So what's interesting about chapter 4 is that Jesus uses parables to teach the people. Let's start at the end of the passage. Look at verses uh, 33 and 34. The Bible says this. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. You've heard Matthew over the past two weeks talk about parables. The most common definition of a parable is that it's an earthly story with a heavenly or a spiritual meaning. Parables are not a new way of teaching. Jesus did not introduce parables to the culture. They were used commonly by the teachers and rabbis of the day. And the the goal was to capture the attention of the listener... To stimulate thinking and to awaken spiritual perception. Parables are a slow way of introducing a deep truth. The people weren't yet ready for the deep stuff. Those who want to go deeper will get there. But those who don't, Those who have hardened their hearts against Jesus. Those who deny the truth of what they have seen and heard in Jesus. They will never get it. That's what Jesus meant when he quoted from the book of Isaiah back in verses 11 and 12. So verse 34 says that Jesus explained all things to his disciples when they were alone. It was important that they get the meaning of the parables. Because when Jesus was gone, they would be the ones left to teach it. So he had to spend the time, after speaking and teaching in parables, to take his disciples aside and share the meaning of each one. So Jesus is teaching in parables in chapter 4, and he uses agriculture... As his backdrop. Remember, this is an agrarian society. The people were farmers. They were sowers. They were harvesters. With the exception of the parable of this little light of mine in chapter 4, all of of the parables, three others in chapter 4, All have to do with the planting of seeds and all build on one another. The people are familiar with scattering seed. 
They understand that. What they don't understand is the kingdom of God. So Jesus uses parables about agriculture, farming, to teach truths about God's kingdom. Now, two weeks ago, Matthew covered the parable of the sower and the soils. So I won't spend a lot of time there. Uh, but, but again, each parable builds on the other. So it's important that I uh, at least talk about it for a moment. Because it lays a foundation. The point is this. The kingdom of God begins with a sower. And that sower is Jesus. And Jesus sows the seed, which is the word of God. And he passes that responsibility onto us today, onto Matthew, onto me, and yes, onto you. When you allow your light to shine, you are sowing the seeds of the gospel. And the word lands on hearts that are hardened and that don't receive it at all. And Satan immediately takes that seed away. And the word lands on hearts that receive it but don't endure because of persecution. The word lands on hearts that receive it but because of the cares of the world, because of matters of the flesh. It doesn't grow. It bears no fruit. But the word also lands on hearts that receive it. The Bible describes it as good soil. And they bear fruit. Fruit has seeds in it. And when you allow your light to shine, you are sowing the seeds of the gospel out of the fruit you produce. That brings us to verse 26. Where the Bible says this. And he said, the kingdom of God is as, as it, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. All three agricultural parables in this chapter have to do with the kingdom of God. And here's an easy way to understand what the kingdom means. Where the king is, there is the kingdom. There is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is vast. It encompasses everything that falls under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. But the Bible also says, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is vast, but it's also very personal. If Jesus Christ resides in you, then the kingdom of God is within you. Only in the Gospel of Mark is this parable recorded you won't find it in the gospels of matthew and luke or in john mark includes this particular parable here because it builds on the first 
The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So as in that first parable, the parable of the the sower in the soils, a man scatters seed. Verse 14 of Mark 4 identifies the seed as the word. And if there's any question about what that means, Luke 8, 11 is even more direct. The seed is the word of God. And when that seed is sown in good soil, something happens to it. As the sower sleeps at night, as he rises by day, going about his uh, routine, normal duties of everyday life, that seed begins to take root. Have you ever thought about how that happens? If you're a botany major or maybe you took a class in high school about plants, then maybe you know. I'm going to tell you something. I'll confess. I stunk in science. Science was not my class. I didn't do well in it. But I'm going to give you a very elementary science lesson right now. Okay? In regard to seeds. You never see a farmer drop a seed into the ground right side up. You know that? Is there a right side up for a seed? I don't know. I'm not aware of a seed, although there's probably one out there. Seeds are shaped a lot of different ways. I'm not, and I'm not aware of one that's perfectly round, that can land in any way, and it's not different from something else. But I'm thinking of uh, a pumpkin seed or a uh, sunflower seed or a watermelon seed. Uh, Those seeds that are teardrop shaped, right? So it's got a pointy end, which may be the top or maybe the bottom for all I know. And then a rounded side, right? So it's kind of shaped like this. You don't ever see a farmer go to the ground And drop that seed in perfectly with the pointy side down. Or the rounded side down. They scatter seed and it lands how it lands. Sometimes it's pointy side down. Sometimes it's rounded side down. Sometimes it's flat. Right? These seeds are flat. Sometimes it's flat. And yet, every time when these seeds are planted in good soil and under good circumstances... The scatterer, the sower, the man, walks away and goes about his life. He waters it every now and then, trusting that what's supposed to happen will happen. And eventually what happens is the roots sprout from that seed. And every time, no matter how the seed goes into the ground, pointy side up, pointy side down, sideways, no matter what, the roots come out and start digging down into the ground to take a firm hold of that ground. That seed knows which way is down. The roots aren't growing up. They're not growing sideways. Every time they grow down. And once it takes hold, the shoot starts to grow upward. It knows which way is up. And it makes its way through the ground. And then it begins to bud and blossom and 
bear fruit. We know what happens. But the sower doesn't give it much thought about why or how it happens. It simply happens. He just watches over a period of time. The plants grow. Fruit is produced. The harvest is done. We do it all over again. The sower's work is simply in sowing the seed. Verse 28 says, it's the earth that yields the crop of itself because that's how God created it. Verse 28 points back to the creation account in Genesis. Chapter 1, which says this, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God ordered all of this to happen. It happened at creation when God said, grow, plant, produce seed, seed grow into more plants that will produce seed and grow more plants. Thousands of years later, it was still happening in Jesus' day. Nothing had changed. And 2,000 years later today, it still happens. And it happens in the hearts and lives of people as well. The Word of God is sown in good soil. And when that happens, it will produce fruit. Listen to what Peter wrote in his first letter. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. God's word is a seed that is incorruptible. And it will endure forever. And this is the seed that was planted within you. And by which you were born again, Christian. This is that seed. Here are these words as well. From the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Paul wrote this, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. The point of the parable in Mark 4 is the same point that Paul is writing to the Corinthians here. It is God who is doing the work. We don't see the work that is happening in hearts and lives, but we can see the results. 
We can see the fruit. As a matter of fact, it's not even up to me to identify what that good soil is. It's not up to me to say this is good soil and this isn't. It's up to me to be faithful and scatter seed. God determines the good soil. God knows the hearts of men. He knows. And he will do the work to raise up fruit-bearing believers. So let me share something personal. I am my own worst critic. Maybe some of you are as well. I am my own worst critic. You cannot critique me and say anything that I haven't already said to myself. And that happens even on mornings like today. All right? I prepare through the week. Uh, Many, many, many hours. And I come on Sunday morning. And when I'm done, I'll walk away. And I'll think, man, I stumbled over that passage. How did I stumble? I read that thing 20 times. How did I stumble over that word? That sounded terrible. How did I not connect with that illustration? Man, there was no connection there. And I'm thinking of all the negative, and I'm, I'm just, I, just, I just pour over where I made the mistake when I preach. Where is the error? And I'll walk away sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes and say, that stunk. Oh, that stunk. That was terrible. How do you use me, Lord? You know what? I am done with that. Because I am so convinced That nothing good will happen because of me. Nothing. I can be perfect on Sunday morning. It's not going to be because of me that anything good happens. It is all God. He gives the increase. It is all God. Not Steve Salvis. You can't count on me. We can always count on the Lord. Praise Him. This particular parable covers the Christian life from start to finish. Hear me? Start to finish. Starting at verse 26, a man scatters seed. The sower sows the word. God does all of the work. Salvation happens. Maturity happens. Fruit is produced. And then listen to verse 29. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Commentators differ on what this particular verse means. It may refer to the time when a believer receives his or her reward in heaven. I personally prefer that. I I take this parable as talking about what happens in the Christian life. But others would say uh, that it refers to the final judgment after Jesus' return. Either way, it covers beginning to end the kingdom process. So what else? To what else shall we liken the kingdom of God, Jesus asks in verse 30. What parable can I tell you to give you a picture of it? Look at verse 31. It's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. 
I liked Matthew's show and tell last week. Uh, I liked uh, that he actually had that little clay bowl. Remember that? That little, it was a tiny clay bowl um, with a, it wasn't a wick, but it was kind of like gauze. I don't know what it was called. And, and you fill that uh, little bowl area with oil. And if you were to light it, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And he sat it right here. I, I, I thought that was neat. I have my own show and tell for you. Can you see this? You can, John? Can you see that, Joe? Harrison? Can you guys see this? Can you see it? It looks like a piece of paper. You got that. You got that. There's a mustard seed taped right here. Do you see that mustard seed? That is a real mustard seed. You see it? Seth, you see it. Everybody see that? This is the size of a mustard seed. And yet, out of this will grow a shrub 12 to 15 feet high sometimes, out of this one tiny seed. The mustard seed is uh, not the smallest seed, on earth, but in Jesus' day in that area, it was the smallest known seed to his hearers. And that's why he used the mustard seed as his example in the parable. From this small seed grows a shrub twelve twice my height. Twice my height. Twelve to fifteen feet in height. Remember when I said the kingdom of God is vast. It's true. But here, Jesus is talking about how the kingdom begins with one faithful sower. As we said earlier, that sower is Jesus. Jesus sows the seed in hearts of good soil. And God does all of the work until the seed takes root and bears fruit. And out of that, out of that small beginning, that small beginning of the mustard seed, out of that, you are changed. You are changed. That mustard seed that was planted within you grows to maturity in Christ. And it grows to maturity in others, resulting in the birth of the church. And John MacArthur even says that uh, the birds... That, that shade themselves in the branches of this tree in the parable uh, refer to the Gentiles being allowed to come in and be part of God's church and God's kingdom as well. So do you see how each parable builds on one another? Our responsibility is to be faithful sowers, spreading the seed, the word of God, everywhere. God determines where the good soil is. And he does all of the work. And he gives the increase. And out of that increase, many are blessed. Lives are changed. The church is born. And the kingdom of God grows exponentially. So here's my challenge to you this morning. Sow the seeds of the gospel everywhere you go. 
you never know how God is going to use it. As you leave this morning, I have a gift for you. Uh, There should be someone in the foyer uh, with packets of mustard seeds. I want you to take one with you. And uh, you can plant it if you want. If you want a 12 to 15 foot high shrub in your backyard. Or I encourage you, somebody told me they were going to use it as a bookmark. Or I encourage you to maybe uh, place place it on your refrigerator with a magnet or on a cork board. And every time you see it, I want you to think, I want you to be reminded how God can use you to do great things for him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Once again, thank you. And thank you for uh, the fact that your word uh, works together. These parables are not silos. They all go together. Your word, uh, passages in your word are not silos. It all goes together. It all flows. Thank you for that. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray now that you would bless uh, your people. Bless the hearer. And may uh, this small seed that uh, perhaps I've planted this morning grow to fruition. Oh, God, grow us in maturity. Grow us in grace. Grow us in faith. And give us the courage Understanding that you've given us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Give us the courage to scatter seed. Give us the courage to scatter the word for people to hear. And God, I pray that you would then do your work, please. God, our desire is to win this island for Christ. To win the town of Bluffton for Christ, to win Buford County, for Christ, not for our own sakes, but God, we desire that you receive the glory, and we don't want anyone to perish, but neither do you. Thank you for that. So help us, God. Help us to reach people with a gospel message. Bless the remainder of the service as we transition, Lord, as we transition to uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper. We do not uh, do this as an add-on. Our focus is Christ, and what a privilege it is to remember, to remember what he did on the cross. So as you have your heads bowed, would you listen to the words of the Apostle Paul regarding the Lord's Supper? 